The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. If your Bibles, you open with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, we'll spend the bulk of our time in that section of God's Word together. If you look in the bulletin, there are a couple of inserts. You can respond accordingly. We're trying to provide 200 backpacks to young people in our community who uh, do not have the means to do that. There's a table in the hallway for you to stop by and also opportunities for the ministry. I direct you to our website where all of these things you can find written. We're doing a summer series called Shipwreck. We've got a couple of more messages from Shipwreck, and uh, then we're going to move on to the fall where we're going to study kings and prophets. Kings and prophets, taking a look at different kings and the prophets who prophesied during their reign. But this morning we take a look at End Times, a message I've entitled The Dating Game. The Dating Game as we take a look at the End Times as written about in the Scriptures. The Word of God ends in the book of Revelation. The last two verses of Revelation read this way. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha is that word. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Jesus concludes the word of God by saying, yes, I am coming quickly. Father, as we look at the word, it's our desire to see it, to know it, to understand it. We've worshipped you in song. We've worshipped around the table. And now we desire to feast upon the word. Give us instruction so that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus, so that you would receive glory and lives would be changed. pray in his name. Amen. When will Christ come back? What are the signs of his return? The disciples themselves wanted answers to that question in Matthew chapter 24. If you look down at verse 3, he was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately in a Q&A time and said, Tell us when these things will happen and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age. When and what? From the time of the early disciples until today, the return of Christ has been expected, it's been debated, and it's been ridiculed. I've been researching this for a long time. First time I read anything on prophecy, I read this particular book. How many of you have read that book? The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. First printing came out in 1970. I think I picked it up sometime in 72, 73. When I was a college student, we read about it, but we began to fear everything that Lindsey wrote about. At that time, we're in the middle of the Cold War. He established how China and their millions of forces would invade, and he talked about Russia being Gog and Magog. And most importantly, what Lindsey did is he established the reconstitution of Israel in 1948. That was a confirmed fact by then. He said one generation of biblical prophecy is 40 years, and after after, after that time, he didn't give a specific date, but it certainly was implied in this book that from 1948, 40 years ahead, Christ would return. So Lindsay wrote about the return of Christ, specifically implying that it would be in 1988. Well, 1988 came and went. He revised the book. In fact, this is a 24th edition of this particular book, and he recognized that that was not right. I would say, why would you listen to a guy who's made millions of dollars on biblical prophecy and, by the way, is in his fourth marriage? So Hal Lindsey is not a guy I would say I really want to cast my lot with. Continue my research. In 1996, we were doing a series much like the series we're doing this summer. We called it Truth. That was a long time ago. I was preaching through that series, and I began to do more research. And so in my research, I found this at HEB. 
was checking out, looked up, and saw that uh, you could buy this, and it got my attention because it says biblical prophecies the world does not want you to know. The date on this is September 10th, 1996. And so I began to read with curiosity the article in the middle, and it talked, it said, the first paragraph says, fearing national world and world panic, the federal government is working around the clock to suppress biblical prophecies that prove the world is coming to an end on May 13th, 2000. Well, in 1996, you could write about the year 2000 and be pretty safe because that was still four years away. But the problem is, historically, we look back and say May of 2000 has come, and Jesus didn't. And so, all of a sudden, we began to wonder how Lindsay was wrong. 1988 came and went. 2000 came and went. And uh, people who make these type of forecasts and these dates look kind of foolish. Then in 2009, we're preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. Many of you were here. How many of you were here in the year 2009? About half of us, it looks like. In 2009, we're preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. I'm sure you remember everything I preached in all those sermons in 2009, right? Right? Wrong. But in 2009, we did that, and uh, the very week that I was preaching through Matthew 24, during that week, I received a couple of brochures in the mail. Those brochures came from a guy named Harold Camping, who sent them to the pastors of uh, large churches throughout America, so I got these in the mail. And if you remember anything about Harold Camping, what he said is that no man knows the hour except really for him, because he put a date on it. He put the date May 21st, 2011. God gives another infallible proof that assures the rapture will occur in May, on May 20. 21st, 2011. Well, obviously, all of us in this room missed it. Okay? I wasn't raptured. You weren't raptured. Jesus didn't come back. And so the, the, the return of Christ has been debated. It's been ridiculed. It's been expected for a long time. Harold Camping was left. Actually, if you study camping at all, what he said is my numbers were wrong. It was not May 21st, 2011. It was October 21st, 2011. So he revised his dates. And the reality of it is October 21st, 2011 came and went, and Jesus did not come back. I've got good news for you, though. The good news is this. I have the date. (laughs) The cult of Temple Bible Church is coming through with the date of the return of Christ. I saw it in a movie. (laughs) Right? I mean, if Hollywood said it, then it's true. Here it is, right here. calendar ends December 21st, 2012. It's the end of the world. Hollywood said it. It's got to be true. (laughs) How Lindsay was wrong, Harold Camping was wrong, Hollywood, who knows. 
Who knows? You know who I'm going to cast my lot with? Jesus. Uh, Jesus said this, Of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. And so if uh, Jesus says, I don't know, I'm going to cast my lot with him. And the reality of it is those who set dates, predict dates, look at dates, or look pretty foolish when those dates come and when those dates go. The disciples of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, he's already died, he's been resurrected, and he's getting ready to sin. And he gathers them together in Acts chapter 1, and their question is, Lord, is this the time you're going to usher into your kingdom? And Jesus responds, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. He says, you're not to be concerned with the calendar, you're to be concerned with the king. You're not supposed to be concerned with the calendar. You're supposed to be concerned with the king. And that that is my biggest issue with those who delve into the area of prophecy. We get so fixated on charts and schemes and we know every jot and tittle of what's going to happen that our focus is wrong. Our focus becomes on the issues of the calendar rather than the issue of the king. The question is not when he's coming back. The question is who's coming back. And our focus should be upon him. Actually, the study of eschatology in times is really a study of Christology, and that's a study of Jesus. As I study the scriptures, especially the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, which are both very prophetic about end times, what I find is the focus is not upon the calendar, but the focus is upon the king. But everybody has speculation. Everybody has, you know, you look at some guys, they've got charts. There used to be prophecy conferences that everyone would go to. And everybody has read the Left Behind series except for me. And uh, the reality of it is we're curious about what's going to happen. There are those that put charts together. There are those that say this is the definitive answer of end times. This is how the unfolding of history will be. The unfolding of history will be we're in the church age. It started at the day of Pentecost. It'll end with the rapture. We'll be taking up. We'll be in the presence of Christ. We'll be snatched up. Then that's followed by a seven-year period of tribulation. At the midpoint of tribulation, we get the mid-trib area. The Antichrist declares himself the world ruler. And then finally, at the t- after the time of great suffering, the second half of the tribulation, Armageddon, all, literally all hell breaks loose on earth, described for us in the book of Revelation. Then Christ returns before the millennium so that he the raptures before the tribulation, pre-tribulation, he returns before the millennium, pre-millennium, and all of a sudden he reigns for a thousand years, and then at the end of the time, there's time of judgment, and there's new heaven and new earth. That's a scheme you've seen that many people adhere to. Dallas Seminary, where I went, said this is the definitive answer. I've got a confession and then a statement. My confession is this. The more that I study scriptures, the less certain I am of the timing of these events. I'm just going to tell some reason, my pastor can't say that. I'm just telling you, the more I study Scripture, the less dogmatic I've become. But I can tell you this. Here's my statement. I can't tell you the order of these events or when those events are happening, but I can tell you this with certainty. Jesus is coming back. That's what I can tell you. I, 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 can't, I can't tell you for certainty this is the definitive scheme. And for some of you, you're saying, oh, man, he's become liberal, he's become heretic, he's become whatever else. I mean, we may have, Gary, are you saying you might have to go through some of the tribulation? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, you might have to go through all the tribulation? Maybe. And so you say, how can you say that? As I look at the scriptures and seek to understand it, uh, my understanding of the scriptures, I become less dogmatic. 
This is a scheme I've always held to, actually still do, but the reality of it is, as I look at the scriptures and seek to understand it, I recognize this is not an area of of fellowship, it's not an area of debate. On our elder team, as well as our staff team, we've got folks that believe this is the scheme, we've got folks that believe in other schemes, and the reality of it is, if you're thinking you've got to have, and you have the dogmatic answer to the end times, and this is the only way, then the reality of it is, Uh, I I think there's way more room for understanding than that. The issue is not the calendar. The issue is the king. And as I say the scriptures, that's the one definitive thing that I can tell you. The issue is the king in his return. So the disciples have a little Q&A time with Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Jesus came and from the temple, came out from the temple. He's going away with his disciples. He came up to point out the temple, and, and his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. That, to me, that's a funny verse. I mean, all of a sudden, it says the disciples are pointing out the temple to Jesus. Can you imagine that? Hey, Jesus, you know what that is over there? Hey, Jesus, you know what that is? I mean, they're pointing out the, the things in Jerusalem to the Savior. He is the temple. He, he knew all about the temple, but they're excited. In fact, the parallel passage in Luke says they were, they were admiring the temple. Basically, they're saying, look at the great architecture we have. Look at what God has done. Look at what he's provided us with. And he has. He's provided them with one of the most amazing places in the world. We were there just a few months, just two months ago. The temple in the time of Christ has since been destroyed, but it's an amazing thing. The temple rested atop Mount Zion from a distance that looked like a glistening diamond in a setting of gold. It was considered one of the wonders of the ancient Roman world. It was under construction, reconstruction for 80 years. you imagine an 80-year remodeling project? Seems like every time you remodel, it takes about 80 years, doesn't it? But you look at that, 80 years of remodeling. The Solomonic Temple had been destroyed. They built the temple that was in Jesus' day. It had nine massive gates. When we were in Jerusalem two months ago, we stayed outside the Jaffa Gate. You could look down upon the old city of Jerusalem. Absolutely amazing. And Jesus looks at the disciples who are admiring that. And look at what he says in verse 2. He says, do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Now the disciples are saying, look at this beautiful thing. Look at, this, look at where we worship. Look at what God has given us. This is where his glory dwells. And Jesus looks at them and says, hey boys, by the way, this whole thing's gone to dust. Can you imagine what they thought? you imagine how they responded? The disciples looked at him, and they go to the Mount of Olives. This is called the Olivet Discourse, verses 20, chapters 24 and 25, because Jesus gives an extended section where he speaks to disciples from the Mount of Olives. So it's the Olivet Discourse, and he says in verse 3, it, it, the disciples are sitting with him, and they ask him privately, tell us when and tell us what. If you write in your Bible, circle those two words. When is this going to happen, and what are the signs of your coming? When will the end of the age be? When will this happen? Jesus says, I want you to know that the temple is going to be destroyed. It was in 70 A.D. The Romans attacked the nation of Israel. Jerusalem fell 70 A.D. The diaspora took place. That's the dispersion of the Jews from Israel. And over one million people were killed in Jerusalem and its environs. The whole nation of Israel suffered massive defeat. And the nation came to an end. It was done. It was done. 1948, in 70 A.D., what we find is that Israel is no longer in existence. This beautiful building was destroyed. 
If you study the life of Christ, what he said is it was beautiful on the outside, but was flawed on the inside, so it's coming down. So what do you do with all this? What do you do with all this? We know Christ is coming back. We think we understand some of the end time schemes and when that's going to happen, this time of rapture, tribulation, millennial stuff. But what do you do in the meantime? Well, that's what Christ addresses. They ask the question, what is going to be the sign and when is it going to happen? What and when? What and when? And Jesus answers this, and when he answers this, uh, they've got a little Q&A time with him. Jesus says, I want you to know, boys, trouble's coming, so be prepared. Trouble's coming, so be prepared. If you look at the first 14 verses of Matthew 24, Jesus is saying they're feeling panicky. He's just told them the temple's going to come to an end. And rather than laying out the scheme of events, Jesus says in verse 4, don't be misled, and in verse 5, don't be afraid. He says, don't be misled, verse 4, Jesus answered them. I mean, they want, they ask the question, when and what? Jesus' first answer is not when and what. His first thing is, don't be misled. They're going to come false teachers, and they're going to cry out that they're the Messiah, and they're going to mislead many, verse 6, and you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. Don't be afraid. And so Jesus' response to the question of when is, don't be misled and don't be scared. Don't be misled and don't be scared. He didn't pull out a scroll and said, let me show you the chart of end times. Because our focus should be up on the king and not the calendar. <clears throat> our focus should be up on the king and not the calendar. And, and might it unfold as we have there? It might. It might. Well, so Jesus goes on and he begins to speak about these times. He gives characteristics of the age. And in verse, verse 5, he says there'll be many false prophets. And in verse 6, he says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. In verse 7, at the end, he says the various places there'll be famines and earthquakes. And then in verse 8, there are going to be birth pangs that speak of the coming delivery. In verse 9, there's going to be increased persecution. They will kill you, and you'll be hated by all the nations on account of my name. And then in verse 10, there's going to be a falling away due to persecution. Verse 11, false prophets will rise up. Verse 12, lawlessness will increase. And we see all these things talking about the end times. <clears throat> Are these things true, Neil? Is there an increase of earthquakes? Scientists tell us there are more earthquakes last century than the other time. Increase of persecution. More Christians were martyred in the 20th century than any century in the entire earth. Are there those who claim to be false messiahs? There are. Or is it a time of when persecution breaks out? Are there false prophets? There is. Are we in the end times? Maybe. Maybe. Somebody said, Gary, how can you say that? I mean, don't you read the news? I do. I get six emails this week about the killing in Bulgaria of the Jewish people, and uh, my heart goes out to them. But the emails I get were obviously were an end time to Jewish people under attack. Maybe. Maybe. Is this a time of the birth pangs of labor? Ladies, did you know when you went into labor? Was that a time you remember? Us guys do, I can tell you that. You begin to scream and cry and holler. And <clears throat> Are we in end times? Three times I've been interviewed by television stations in Central Texas. I've been here a lot of years, as you know. And three times there have been hiccups in the Middle East. And folks come and say, is this the end times? So I look into the camera and I respond, yes, the world's coming to in December 2012. I'm the pastor at Temple Bible Church. <laughs> I mean, really, how foolish would that be? Pastor DeSalvo, is this a sign of the end times? Maybe. 
If Jesus doesn't know, I don't know. I don't know. Could be. It certainly looks like it. It kind of smells like it, kind of tastes like it. And I mean, what we saw just in our country this year, lawlessness everywhere. And our hearts do go out. I appreciate the prayer Russell had for our folks in, in Colorado, those who've lost lives right here at Fort Hood. I mean, we've seen mass murders right here. Is it the end times? All the way from the time that Christ left our planet, folks have thought this is the end. Here's what I can tell you. We're to be ready for the last moment by being ready at every moment. You be ready every moment. If trouble's coming, you've got to be prepared. You've got to be prepared. I love to travel with my wife, first of all, because I love being with her and I love traveling with her. Secondly, nobody's better prepared to travel than my wife. If you've got a button that, that breaks, which I did this morning, that button broke right there when I went to put it on, but she was asleep so she couldn't help me and I don't sew buttons on because I don't know how. Uh, but if you travel with Bev, she's got a little sewing kit. She can fix it. If you travel with Bev and uh, you, you get sick, uh, she has stuff for your stomach, she has stuff for your headaches, she has Tylenol PM for you to sleep. I mean, she has everything. She's a walking medicine cabinet. And, and, and if you get hungry, I look like the one that I eat snacks all the time. She's the one that takes snacks everywhere that we go. You want a mocha? She's got stuff to make a mocha for you in the Ukraine and China. Wherever we've been, we've had mochas because she carries all this stuff with her. She is prepared. She's prepared. She lives her life ready when we do that. That's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, don't be misled. Don't be misinformed. Don't be afraid. Instead, be prepared. In fact, he says, trouble's coming, you've got to be ready. Trouble's coming, you've got to be ready. If you look down at verse 14, he says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. And then we come, I think verse 15 talks about the midpoint of the time of tribulation. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, when those things spoken of through Daniel the prophet do take place, then you need to be ready. In the book of Second Thessalonians, we read these words, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, they will say, until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God and his worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. The Antichrist will come, proclaim himself to be God. And so what he's saying is you've got to be ready. In 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed, Israel was scattered, the dispersion, the diaspora took place, and uh, many scoffed at biblical prophecy. Then the unthinkable happened. For one of the first times in our world's history, a nation was reformed. And in 1948, the Jewish people came back to Israel and a nation was reformed. One of the only times in the history of our planet that that's ever happened. And all of a sudden, people quit scoffing at biblical prophecy. What they recognize is that something unique has taken place. A nation has now emerged. It's a Jewish people that God spoke of, and the world took notice. Biblical prophecy was not scoffed at much anymore. But still, the Middle East was a blip on the radar of life. We're more focused on Russia and China, and things happen in that area of the world. And it was just a bleep on the, on, on the, on the radar of our world. It was a land filled with dust and rocks and desert of strange people dressing in strange ways, eating strange foods with strange beliefs and acting in strange ways. But then all of a sudden, our world became dependent upon one thing that's in abundance in the Middle East, and that is what? Oil. And it changed the game. Changed the game. Now all of a sudden, the focus of the world 
is the Middle East. And I can't tell you if we're in end times or not, but I can tell you it's pretty unique in the history of the planet that the focus of our world is upon this little section of geography because of this resource. And so all I can tell you is, I ain't not sure when Christ is coming back, but I can tell you what Jesus said, trouble's coming, so you better be prepared, you better be ready. And then Jesus says, trouble's coming, but so am I. Trouble's coming, but so am I. If you look at verse, verse 30, at the end of that, he says, I want you to know this will be the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. He says, what I want you to know is I'm coming back. He prophesied that he would come, the scriptures prophesied he'd come the first time. He came, he gave his life, and now he's saying, I want you to know I'm leaving, but I will be back. Jesus is saying, earthquakes are coming, but so am I. Pestilence is coming, but so am I. War is coming, but so am I. Persecution's coming, but so am I. Trouble's coming, but I'm coming back. And that should bring you great comfort. We should have hope in the midst of despair. Some of you watch the news and you despair. Some of you listen to talk shows and you get depressed. Jesus says, I want you to know I'm coming back and I will set all things right. No more injustice, no more pain, no more suffering, no more shootings in theaters, no more suicide bombers. I'm coming back and I will set all things straight. He came as a savior. He returns as the judge. And he says, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. As a little kid, if my dad said he was leaving on a trip or he was going hunting, when he would leave, he would say, I'm coming back, and that brought us comfort. When my mom would take off and go to the grocery store, she would say, I'm coming back. That brought me great comfort. (laughs) When our kids went off to college and we heard the words, we're coming back, we moved. No, we, (laughs) we didn't. We didn't actually do that. We welcomed them home. When the Savior tells his children, I'll be back, it should bring us great comfort. He's coming back. But if you don't know him, it should not bring you comfort but consternation. Because if you're not ready and if you're not prepared, when the king comes, this time he comes to judge. Finally, he says, I'm coming back. Be alert. If you look all the way down at verse 42, therefore be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. He says, I'm coming back, and you need to be prepared. You need to be ready. You need to be comforted by those words. And finally, you need to be alert. So what do we do until he comes back? Four things. First of all, we should be working. Jesus continues the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 25 in a very familiar section beginning in verse 14. He says, this time is like a man who's about to go on a journey. He calls his slaves together. He entrusts them with all his possessions. He gives five talents to one slave, two to another, one to another. Each according to the ability goes on a journey. Verse 19 of Matthew 25, after a long time, the master of these slaves came and settled accounts with them. And you know the story. The one with five talents took those five talents. He invested them. He returned to the master ten talents. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I've given you... You've been faithful in a few things. I'll give you much. The guy with three talents came. He did the same thing, or two talents, and he did the same thing. He had multiplied the master's talents. He had doubled him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Verse 23. But the one with one talent came up to the master, and he lived in the master's house, but he didn't know the master's heart. Because look at how he describes a master. Verse 24. 
The one who'd received ten talents said, I knew you to be a hard man. Is your master a hard man? He's a loving man. He's a loving master. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow, gathering seed you hadn't scattered. And I was afraid, so I took your talent and I buried it. And then the master says to him, you wicked, lazy slave, verse 26, you know if I reap where I did not sow and gather what I scattered, no seed, then you should have put the money in the bank and on my arrival I could have gained some interest from it. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the others. And in verse 30, cast out this worthless slave into the outer darkness, into a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth and what the scriptures teach us is that this man lived in the master's house but he didn't know the master's heart and he didn't invest his talents while the master was away it was an indication that he didn't trust the master he wouldn't serve the master he wasn't working for the master and therefore he's not part of the master's family he's kicked out into eternal darkness the master's away what are you doing with the talents he's given you Are you like the guy with five talents or the guy with two talents? You're investing, using them wisely. You're serving the Savior? Because one day he comes back, there's going to be an accounting. He's given you wealth. Are you generous with the wealth he's given you? Or are you serving the Savior that way? He's given you talents. He's given you time. He's given you treasures. And if you're not using those to his glory, there'll be a time of accounting. Some invest their talents and give God credit. Others misuse their talents and give God grief. Some honor him with fruit. Others insult him with excuses. The one talent servant said, I thought I knew you were a hard man. The master wouldn't stand for it. He has him cast out into utter darkness. What you do while the master is away indicates what you think of the master. You'd be working for the master. Some of you are so involved in many other things that you're not generous with the master. You don't serve the master. You don't give the master of your talents or your treasures. And one day you may hear these words, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I know you're not. Be working for the master. Next, be watching for the master. In the book of Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.8. He says, In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, at which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all those who love his appearing, who look for his appearing. So you look for the master's coming. He says, first of all, you be working. Secondly, you be watching. Thirdly, you be righteous. In the book of Titus, he says, when Christ is away, you look for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God. How do you do that? You deny ungodliness, worldly desires, live sensibly, live righteously, live godly in the present age. Your life here is to be one that glorifies the master while he's away. It glorifies the master while he's away. You're working, you're watching, you are righteous, and finally, you're ready. You're ready. My favorite verse on how to prepare for end times is 1 John 2.28 that says, Little children, abide in him. When he appears, you may have confidence and not shrink away in shame at his coming. You live your life for the master today because it could be your last. He could return. You could be called to him. And the last thing you want to do is shrink away in shame when you see the Savior. It's the last thing. You want to be able to come into his presence boldly, humbly, and gratefully. The issue, focus on the king, not on the calendar. See, if you focus on the king, it doesn't matter when he comes back. 
It doesn't matter if it's before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation. It doesn't matter if there's a millennium, if there's not a millennium. It doesn't matter if the return is pre-mill, post-mill. It doesn't matter. Opinions, we have them. But the reality of it is if you focus on the king and not the calendar, you'll be ready. What's it going to be like when he comes back? What's it going to be like? I love to see reunions. Watch these reunions because one day our reunion will be a reunion with the king. focused on you, on the returning king, the victorious warrior, who's going to come to get us so we can be with you forever. If you're here today and you're not sure if Jesus Christ is your Savior, I I pray that you wouldn't leave this place without making certain of that. Come and talk to me. Let's pray together. Know for certain that Christ is your Savior. Otherwise, be filled with consternation because today could be the day you're called home or he comes back be too late. If you know Christ as Savior, that verse in 1 John, little children, abide in Him, walk with Him, love Him, care for Him, serve Him, so if He appears, you won't shrink away in shame at His coming, but you'll joyfully embrace Him, humbly love Him, gratefully serve Him. That's our desire. Father, help us to be men and women who focus upon the King. We pray in His name.
Amen. You're dismissed.